0: So today we are back in the book of Acts again. It's our third week in chapter 8 of Acts, chapter 8. Uh, I'll have uh, the main scripture on the screen today. I won't have the supporting verses. you have to write those down. It was a bit of a crazy week. Um, you, if you would like to follow along in the Bible, I always encourage that. If you don't have one. There's one in the seat back provided for you. Acts is kind of go in the middle and head to the right until you find Acts. It's right after the Gospels. Now, uh, Acts was written by Luke. Luke, one of the followers of Jesus, he was a physician at the time, uh, and he is the same guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke. Now, Acts is providing, its whole goal is to provide a history of the early church as they fulfill uh, their purpose to take the Gospel to the ends of the earth. And when we first started this series, we we covered the first seven chapters, which was really the birth of the Gospel in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. We studied them fulfilling their purpose. We saw the power of the Holy Spirit working through them. And now that we're in this second section of the book, chapters 8 through 12, we're seeing the perseverance of the church as they come under persecution for the gospel. And and we're seeing what it teaches us about being the church today. Now, last week in in chapter 8, we saw an evangelist named Philip, and he's going all throughout Samaria. And he's teaching people about Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to see him continue to do that today, but instead of it just being a general thing, he has a very specific assignment from the Lord. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, who was queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all, and he was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. So Philip ran to him, and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and asked Verse 34, and the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about somebody else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him about the good news. The good news about Jesus Christ. Verse 36, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and they and went on his way rejoicing. This is the word of the Lord. I think one of the reasons that this passage is essential in understanding the gospel is it teaches the importance of one-on-one evangelism. Much of the evangelism in the early church was done by lay people who just shared their faith wherever they went. Fulfilling the call of the gospel that Jesus gave in Matthew 28:19, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son and the who? the Holy Spirit. And then when you read the New Testament letters, It's clear that this continues to be the responsibility of all Christians to tell people about the gospel. I've had a couple people ask me about the church, and they're like, hey, can we do more outreach as a church? And I'm like, yes. Let me know what you want to coordinate. Because it is good for the church to be out in the community together. But I tell you right now, and hear me very clearly, hear me very, very, very clearly. The biggest impact that this church can ever make for the gospel is gonna come about you going out into your everyday life and sharing the gospel with those who are in your sphere of influence. In every church I have been a pastor in, the amount of people who come into the church and find the gospel through big church outreach events versus those who just share their faith in their daily lives, it's not even close in comparison. You are the greatest outreach this church can ever have for the gospel. And I don't care if you're gifted to be an evangelist, if you're great with words, it does not matter. The Holy Spirit can work through anyone. You are the greatest outreach this church will ever have. So the, the, my whole desire for this message is, is if you sit here today and you're like, I'm a Christian, my faith is in Jesus Christ, he is my Lord, he is my Savior, my life belongs to him, that this message is going to refocus you, it's going to recharge you, and it's going to retool you to proclaim, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light as we lead, read in the Peter. Can I get an amen, church? Now, sometimes God helps us out. He helps us out in this life call that you have to tell people about Jesus. He he helps us out. Praise God, we need it. And, And he sets up what we like to refer to in the church as divine appointments. And a divine appointment is when God in his providence has appointed a specific person to accomplish a specific task with another specific person usually at a specific time. Do you realize that this morning? That God wants to use you at specific times in your life to reach somebody else in a specific way, in a specific place. Like it's all marked out on the calendar of eternity. Every single one of us. And I think this question I ask this question because I think it's very easy for us to walk through life with just blinders on. We go from appointment to appointment. We go from task to task without ever considering what God might be up to in our lives. What extra thing he might want to throw in. Now, when we're a brand new Christian, we're normally excited. We're like, yes, we're everywhere. We just want to find people everywhere and tell them about Jesus. We'll be in a bathroom stall. And we're pounding on the stall next to us. Hey, do you know about Jesus? Like, we're that excited. I know somebody who's done that. I'm not just making that up. I don't necessarily recommend it, but, but as we go on, it can be so easy for us to just get straight out apathetic. And, and we forget about these divine appointments that God can set up for us. I know one pastor that he used to pray each morning, Lord, I pray today that I will serve you well and if you have set me up at a divine appointment that I will see it and I will have the courage to step out in faith. You ever pray anything like that? I used to. But now I find myself doing it less and less and less because I get so focused on my tasks at hand. I was reading um, about a sales manager And he was trying to lift up the vision of his sales force. And and so he went into a room, and and he took a big piece, white poster board, and he just circled a black dot in the middle. And he said, okay, what do you see? And he went to the first one. They said, I see a black dot. The other one, black dot. Second, first, fourth. Everybody, we see a black dot. And he said at the end, he goes, I think it's interesting that so many of you saw the black dot, but none of you commented on all, all the white that was surrounding the black dot. And I think that's where many of us are as Christians. We see the black dot of self-concern. Where Jesus says, in John 4, that the fields are white with harvest. That there are so many people out there ready for the gospel. If we would just lift our eyes up to look at those around us. Instead of being so focused on ourselves. So let me ask you again. When you go out in the day life, when you get up and you're checking your your calendar, are you just seeing the black dot of the things that you have to do? Are you seeing all the white around it? The people that you might come into contact from as place to place that you go and thing to thing that you do. The people that might be there at a specific time for a specific reason because God wants to use you specifically for a divine appointment. Now, one might ask, how does God reveal these divine appointments? Because they don't show up in our calendars. I'd love if he did that, right? If you could sink to heaven's calendar like his iCal. I pray and I ask, but he hasn't answered yet. I think he's more old school. Well, in Luke's, it, there's a few different ways. I don't have time for them all today. But in, in Acts, we, we see in chapter 8, it kind of highlights two of them. First, we see Philip has an angel of the Lord appear to him. Now, I've never had an angel of the Lord appear to me that I know of, but I think that'd be pretty cool. Probably be really scary, but also pretty cool. And you see angels all throughout Acts, and you see them in Gospels, and you see them in Revelation, and they were messengers to early Christians. Now there's, And there's no scripture that says their ministry of being messengers has ceased, like it can't happen anymore. I, I don't know of any scripture that says that. So it's possible. Now, I believe it's unlikely for most of us to ever see an angel. you got to remember the, the Bible is often a highlight reel. like It doesn't record every action, everything that happens for, to every Christian. right? It would be just libraries and libraries big. And, but sometimes we read it like, oh, because we see something happen, then it means good, it has to happen to us. That's not the case. So I don't think we should expect for an angel to appear to us, but... We shouldn't turn out the idea that it couldn't happen either. So Philip was obedient to this angel, which I would imagine we, hopefully we would all be. And he starts his travels, and then he comes across this Ethiopian man, which in his day was not actually Ethiopia that we know today. It was more southern Egypt. And, and so he comes across this Ethiopian, and, and it says he was also he was a eunuch, which means he was probably castrated. Back in those days, if you were not a member of the royal family, and, and yet you were groomed to take a position that was close to the royal family, like a leadership position, where you were going to be constantly dealing in close proximity with royal family members, the price to get into that lifestyle was castration. I'm sure you can figure out why. So this man was an Ethiopian, and he was a eunuch. He was a minister of finance, we read, right? That means he controlled all the money. So anyway, Philip comes across this man, and the Holy Spirit says to him in Acts chapter 8, verse 29, go over and join this chariot. Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know that this is the more likely the way the Holy Spirit is going to prompt you right? He's going to give you this internal prompting to do something. Uh, hey, text this person, call this person, go pray with this person, approach this person, pray for this, pay for this person's dinner. Whatever it may be, he's going to direct you. When it happens to me, it'll be, I'll be doing one thing, and then somebody will usually come into mind completely random for no reason. They'll just pop in there. But where did that come from? I was not even thinking of that person. Some of you have experienced this. Now, in the past when I've talked about the promptings of the Holy Spirit, I've had people ask me because they get stuck, and they're like, when something comes to my mind, how do I know if it's the Holy Spirit or not? How do I know? Let me think to yourself, how would you answer if somebody asked you that? How do you know if it's the Holy Spirit or not? I think this is a really good question, and and I like the humility here because I think there are far too many people walking around today, and they'll be like, God told me this, or what I have to say is from the Lord, or he's given me this new revelation, and they share it as they literally got it out of Scripture. The truth is, and this might be hard for some of you uh, Pentecostals to take, and I grew up Pentecostal, nobody really knows when a prompting is from the Holy Spirit. Nobody you don't know. And here's what I mean by you don't know. There is no verifiable objective sign when the Holy Spirit is prompting you. Right? It's not like you're ET and when the Holy Spirit prompts you your finger glows. Call Rick. Oh, yes. Right? Call Tim. Oh, it's not glowing. It must not be the Holy like it's all internal. It's all subjective. And I think this is why Christians who have a good understanding of pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit, you'll hear them say phrases like, I feel like God is saying this. I feel like God is prompting me. I think God is doing this. There's a humility in it because they know that there's no objective, verifiable way to discern if the prompting that they have is from the Holy Spirit. At least not in that moment. Now, what's my point to all of this? If you get a sense to go tell someone about Jesus. If that comes into your mind, you do not need to have your finger glow to know that it is from God. You do not need to be 100% sure it's from the Holy Spirit to follow through. Why? Because you have the word of God to guide you. Tells you, go make disciples of all nations, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness, right? The word of God gives you the direction you need when you are unsure. Or if you're driving down the road and someone pops into your mind, and let's say they're a Christian, you're like I, feel like, I just feel like I need to go check on them. You don't need to sit there and try to confirm if that's the Holy Spirit. Scripture tells us to love one another the way that we would want to be loved, right? And what's the way that you love somebody? You show concern from them. You call them and you say, hey, how are you doing? We feel loved when people check in on us. So you know, man, this says this in Scripture. So you just call them and say, hey, how are you doing? Scripture gives you the guidance you need. This is what we partly need when we talk about the sufficiency of Scripture. It gives you all of the authoritative truth that you need to make a good judgments. Because I've watched people be driven by the Holy Spirit and say it's from God and yet not find it in Scripture. And I've seen people driven by the Holy Spirit and it becomes from Scripture. What is the balance? How do you know? It's Scripture that you go to. And I think what happens is the confirmation of the Holy Spirit comes on the other side. Like when I reached out to somebody who's just like suddenly just popped in my head and, and I text them or I call them, and they're like, how did you know to reach out to me? Like, this is what I'm going through. I'm so thankful you did. You're like, oh man, praise the Lord. Those are cool moments. If you've had that happen, you know how cool those moments are. Or maybe you're left wondering like, was that the Holy Spirit? And Because sometimes you'll call somebody, and you'll be like, hey, God just put me on your heart. I'm just checking you out, or I feel like God did, and, and they'll be like, no, I'm good. I'm fine. Everything's fine. So it's in those moments, you're still fulfilling scripture, right? Because your success is not given on how they respond. Your success is on being obedient to God. And so in those moments, what I've learned to do is say, Lord, I thank you for the courage to step out in faith, and I just, I trust you with, whatever you're doing in their heart. Because sometimes you'll step out in faith, you'll check on somebody, and they will, I know this is shocking, they'll lie to you. They'll lie about it, right? And so, don't let, get caught up, is this the Holy Spirit, not the Holy Spirit? Don't get caught up in how they respond, get caught up in the sufficiency of Scripture to help you discern. Discern how to move forward. Now, with that said, I think we should develop an attitude of saying, God, I pray that you'll give me divine moments. I pray that your spirit will prompt me, right? Okay, because we know you have the Holy Spirit in you. If you put your faith in Christ, he is there. He is guiding you. We know that. We know we want divine appointments, right? Because we want to fulfill the gospel to to share uh, Jesus with people. So we should be praying for this. We should want this. These are the kind of things that makes the gospel exciting. I think the difference between people who uh, get bored with Christianity, who don't see the point in Christianity, who are a whole hum about Christianity who could take it or leave the things of God are the people who don't put it into practice. It's the people who step out in faith who get excited that they come to me and they're like, they're so excited about what happened. Or maybe they didn't know something they were supposed to know, but they still stepped out in faith and they're like, man, I need to know this. I need to find this out. And they're kind of they're jazzed up, right? They're, they're passionate, right? Because they're putting the gospel in action. They're testing out the words of God. So if you ever get out of your place and you're complacent with your faith and you're like, I guarantee you part of the reasons is because you're not living out your faith as scripture would call you to. And I don't want to talk about the, like when I talk about the sufficiency of scripture, I don't want to say that we shouldn't be dependent on the Holy Spirit because without the Holy Spirit, the gospel probably never would have spread, right? Because what do we do in our nature? You're going to go to people that you're comfortable with right? You're going to go to people that you want to talk to. You're going to want to go to places that you are comfortable going to. What does scripture do? What does the Holy Spirit do? He likes to call you out of comfort. In fact, if you get a prompting in your heart, the more you don't want to do it, it's probably more likely God, right? I remember when I was in school, I was not popular, in middle school, probably because I had this vanilla ice, Billy Ray, Cyrus mullet thing combo going on. Um, I blame it. I, I blame it on my parents for letting me cut my hair that way. When I got to high school, I got uber popular. I don't know what happened. And uh, about my junior year, I finally got serious about God. And, uh, and I remember a couple times where God would prompt me to go talk to kids who did not do much for my social credit right? To scene with them would not have made me cool. It would not made me look good. And so in those moments, I'm like, I would not normally go talk to this person, but the Holy Spirit's like, go talk to this person. That's what the Holy Spirit does, right? We have to lean on him because he's going to send us to places we don't want to go to people that we do not want to go talk to for the sake of his gospel. And I don't know if Philip felt this way. I mean, he's, he's, he's going to meet a man that is nothing like him, not from his place. He's Ethiopian. He's a Jew. Completely two different lifestyles, two different cultures. And yet Philip runs to this dude. And let me tell you right now, if you ever want to get over fear of not being obedient to God, that's what you do is you run. The longer that we think about it and we contemplate it, the more likely we ought to be like, no, just run, just go. Just run. I love it It says he runs over. Doesn't walk, doesn't stroll. He literally runs. And when he does, I love how he engages this man. Because sometimes we have no idea. You ever felt that way? I feel this way. I'm a pastor. I feel this way. I have no idea sometimes to talk to people how to engage them with the gospel. You ever felt that way? Look how Philip does it. Uh, Chapter 8, verse 30. Verse 30. So so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, "Do you understand what you're reading?" Philip's like, "Hey, what you reading? What you doing?" And the youth opens like, "I got no idea what this is." And this is where Philip takes his cue. I think that when we do evangelism, we should be praying and looking for an opening. And the opening is usually some kind of need that they have in their lives. I think often people are not interested in the questions that we think the gospel answers, at least not anymore. In, in our postmodern society, in our religiously apathetic society, people are, they don't necessarily care about finding truth. They're happy with their own truth, right? They, they don't care about finding a supreme God. Like, they don't care about being remorseful for their sins. Right? They just don't care. When do they care is when they have a need. When the way they live their life runs out, or it fails them, or they have questions they can't answer, that's when they start, like, wondering, what do I do? And these are the moments where we can say to them, hey, look, here's what Christianity says about your situation. Here's how the gospel applies. In fact, I remember years ago, I was talking to somebody um, and they, they, they were struggling because they were a people pleaser and it was messing up their lives. If you're a people pleaser, you know, right? And I, so I talked to them, I said, what's the problem? They said, I don't like to disappoint people. I like it, people can depend on me, that I can come through to people, it makes me feel good, it makes me feel loved. And I said, well, what happens if you just say no? He goes, well, I feel like people won't like me. And I said, I said here's your problem. Your identity is not in God. Your identity is in other people. And this is why you have to say yes to people, because your fulfillment and your value comes through other people. When your value, when your worth comes from God, you, you're based on him. You're not, you're not have to say yes to everybody else. You still might, but it won't be based on the wrong reasons. I also say, you don't have a gauge in your life. You don't know when to say yes and to say no. And this person was married. And I said, you look in scripture and it talks about honoring each other in a married couple. And every time that you say yes to something without checking with your spouse, you're not honoring them. You're not loving them. You have no gauge in your life. You have nothing to guide you in how to say yes and how to say no. And so we started talking about how the gospel answers their needs, and then we went into Jesus Christ. But it started with their need. I think often when there's divine appointments in our lives, God's prepared their hearts. They've come to the end of themselves. They have questions they can't answer. They've been prepared for you to come in and help them take that next step. For example, this eunuch, he was... um, He was an important man, like I said, Minister of Finance of over the whole country. He he took care of all the money, so you know he had access to all the best things of the kingdom, and yet his heart is still longing for more. Literally high up in the in his country, and he's still reading about God. He still comes to Jerusalem to worship, but because he was a eunuch, he would have been considered an outcast religiously speaking. Like he would not have been able to participate in the temple worship. He would have had this outside yard he could have hung out in. It'd be like inviting a bunch of people into your house, you know. And then some, but some people have to stand in the front yard, right? And so he's sitting here. He has this experience, and now he's reading the prophet Isaiah, and he's trying to understand it on its own. And he probably found a lot of it confusing. I'm sure a lot of us can relate when reading Isaiah. And he's reading what looks like to be the chapters in the 40s and the 50s, and they're called the servant songs. And the servant songs are this collection of prophetic descriptions of Jesus Christ and his his, his mission here on earth. In fact, let me go, let's read what he was reading. It says, now the passage of scripture that he was reading, this is in verse 32, it says, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And so he's sitting there and he's like, who is this? Is this the prophet or is he talking about somebody else? And Philip's like, I'm paraphrasing here. He goes, oh yeah, he's talking about somebody else. He's talking about someone way different. And he probably goes into, he's talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who was born in a manger as the son of God who died on the cross, who who became an outcast for the outcasts, who became a lamb that was slain, who became a a eunuch to the eunuchs, a leper to the lepers. And in fact, if you go a little further, it's not quoted here in Acts, but in Isaiah 53 verse eight, it says, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people, he was stricken. And I could just see uh, Philip saying, like, my African friend, can you not see the Mosaic law, like the Ten Commandments and others? They're just, uh, all of it's pointing to a spiritual truth. That in the end, we are all like eunuchs. We are all excluded from the presence of God because of our condition, because of our sin. None of us meet the standards of God. But, In his grace and mercy, he sent his son, who was excluded on the cross. This is why Christ cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he continued probably saying something like, he experienced the forsakenness of God on the cross. He got what we deserve so that we could be brought in, so that we could be included. He was made unclean so we could become clean. We could never make it ourselves. We can never be good enough. We can never be clean enough. But Christ has done it for us. As we read in 2 Corinthians 5, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new, what? He's brand new. And then if you go into Isaiah 56, it starts talking about a eunuch specifically and how a eunuch will have a name uh, that will last beyond sons and daughters, which probably would be confusing for a eunuch to read because a eunuch could not have sons and daughters. But the point is that Christ gives him a new name, a new eternal destiny that goes beyond the physical world. That was the good news for the eunuch. That was the sufficiency of Jesus for the eunuch. And then the Ethiopian believed on Jesus Christ, and was born again. The gospel meets everybody where they are at, and this is the one thing that we should always be prepared to tell people about: is the gospel, because it is what is sufficient for salvation. I was watching; uh, we had a bunch of our people at a church that just randomly got together. Uh, over at somebody's house and they watched this documentary. It's back from 2018 called The American Gospel in Christ Alone. And it is all about the sufficiency of Jesus Christ and how the sufficiency of Jesus Christ is being distorted by false gospels today. It is so important that when God gives us divine moments, we're not there to tiptoe, to lollygag. We're we are there to point them to the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean our words are perfect, because Philip, man, we, we know he was, he was good. Like He was trained. He was spirit-filled beyond what we know and what he was able to do. But we are filled with the Holy Spirit, and so through our personality and the way that we talk and our experience, God is going to bring the gospel through if we're willing to be obedient. If we're willing to trust Him and His Spirit to work in us more than we trust our fears, that we're gonna screw up. How many times do we never take a step of faith because we think we're just gonna mess it all up? Like somehow, if someone doesn't come to faith because we don't get it perfect, that like we are we are eternally damned for it. The salvation of other people, hear this, is not your responsibility. You're not God. You are not God. I am not God. We don't have enough power to screw up somebody's salvation, praise God. Right? Our job is to be obedient to do what he's called us to do. And sometimes that means that when we go and we step out in faith and do what we're called to do, it doesn't mean that someone's going to be like, yes, praise Jesus. Sometimes we are just a part in their journey to find Christ. We're preparing the ground for somebody else. I think of 1 Corinthians 3, people were arguing, hey, I follow Apollos, I follow Paul, you know? And and Paul's like, what? No, no, you follow God. He goes, I've planted. He goes, Apollos is watered in spreading the gospel he's talking about. He goes, but God gives the growth. So it's neither he who plants or he who waters is anything, but it's all on God. Sometimes you and I just have a part to play. We're just moving a person one step closer. There's this guy. Um, I remember I found this book back in Oregon in this huge church library we had, and it was a, it was called um, what was it? Good news is for sharing. Came out in the 70s, and it talked to shared the story about this pastor, Leighton Ford, I think it was his name, and. Um, He had this young pastor who had a prison ministry, and one time he led a guy, a prisoner, to Christ. And he got really excited in the moment, which we all should. And the prisoner kind of was like, wait, 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 preacher, don't don't get all big-headed on me. Listen, you're just the 25th man that came. And the preacher was like, what? And he went on to explain to him, he said, look, 24 other guys have come to me throughout my life to tell me about Jesus. And today I put my faith in Christ, but it's because all of them, including you, has had an effect on me. And I love this because this takes the pressure off. Now, it's not an escape. It's not an excuse not to be obedient, not to pose the tough questions, not to pose Jesus to people, (coughs) right? But it takes the pressure off that my job is to be obedient Whatever part that place, and I got to trust God with the the rest. I mean, look at Philip. Philip would never have been able to approach the eunuch and say, hey, what you reading when he was reading the scrolls of Isaiah if somebody had not given the eunuch the scrolls of Isaiah? And even though the guy who, or whoever it was, gave him the scrolls of Isaiah wasn't there, he was a part of the process. I, and it makes me wonder in the past, where you have felt like a failure, maybe where I have felt like a failure because like someone didn't come to Jesus, but we were just another step in the process. Our job is to be obedient, to be obedient, and to trust him with the outcome. That's it. And it takes a lot of trust because sometimes you take a step of faith and, you know, God doesn't give you the next one. I mean, look at Philip. Philip, he said, get down to Gaza. He gets down there, and, but he doesn't know what's next. And sometimes in our lives, we feel like, I never feel like God has ever done anything with me, and it's because we're never willing to take the first step in the first place. God pushes us. He nudges us towards stuff, and then we just don't take that step, and we wonder why we don't see him work. In simple things, and it could be in simple things, like this Bible study I talk about with the ladies. Some of you who don't go, you know you should go. Like you feel the nudge every time, There's like a little poke, like I should go. I really should go. I don't wanna go, but I should go. And if you were to go and to be obedient to that nudging, who knows what God might do in that next step. Do you hear me, church? And because of Philip's obedience, we see the eunuch saved, and then we see him baptized, right? And then we don't hear from him from the rest of the Bible. But uh, there's an early church father, uh, Irenaeus. He wrote about this Ethiopian in the second century, and according to him, this Ethiopian went back and became a missionary for Christ. And uh, Philip probably never even knew this. I don't think they were trading emails back then. Until he got to glory. All because Philip was willing, willing to be obedient. And it makes me wonder, once again, like what, time, what times in our lives have we stepped out in obedience or will you start to step out in obedience and God's going to do something so cool and you won't even know it until you get to glory. I think it's personally better that way. I think it's better that way because it always gives us hope. It helps us to dream. It helps us to have a big vision of what God could be doing in our simple steps of obedience. So when was the last time that you opened the Bible and explained the good news to somebody? When's the last time that you prayed, Lord, I pray that I serve you well today, like this pastor I talked about earlier, and if you have a divine appointment for me, I pray I'll see it, and I pray I'll have the courage to run to it. Even if you're not prepared. Sometimes I think God calls us into steps of faith, into an area we're not prepared, just so we'll get prepared for the next time. Right? What's that phrase? Mother uh, invention is the mother of, what is it? Invention, mother of necessity? Like I as I've or how you you guys know what I'm talking about. In the same way, I think it's when scripture, when I got people who come to me and they'll be like, hey, I talked to some about Jesus. I didn't know the answer to this, this, and this. What are they doing? Where do I go to look for this? Like they're impassioned, they're emboldened. They're like excited now. They're like, they're like I wanna get this right. It drives them to study the word so they're ready for next time so that they could fulfill the call of 1 Peter 3.15 to always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. So I pray that you'll jump ahead of this that you'll start reading your Bible each day. You, when you're driving, you're listening to podcasts from the Bible and from preachers. That you sit there and you work on your testimony. And how can I give this testimony of what God's done in my life, of who I was and who I am now in like, in like under a minute? In an everyday plain language. How can I memorize a couple Bible verses that I can speak into someone's life? And I pray, in fact, that you'll pick one of those that I just lifted off. You will take one of them, and you will do something with it this week. You won't be like, yes, that was a good sermon, or that sermon was too long, or this or "Though." I hope people do this. That you'll actually go, man, let me get on one of these so I can start to equip myself so that when the Lord calls me out, he gives me that divine moment, I'm ready. Can I get an amen? amen. And if you don't know where to look or how to start, come here or one of your brothers and sisters of Christ are in here. That all of this, all of the work that you do, and your prayers to give you divine moments will all just be to prepare you for the next time that God says, hey, go catch a chariot, and you'll run. And you'll run.